My youngest brother, Simon, he's become an endurance runner, and he's extremely skilled at completing mammoth running feats. In fact, he's doing so well that he's picked up two official sponsors from a running and hydration companies. Now, when it comes to running, most of us would probably consider a marathon as the ultimate running test. I mean, to run 42.195 kilometers in a single session takes so much training and endurance. Yet my little brother uses a marathon as a warm-up for his other endurance races. I kid you not, three weeks ago, my brother Simon ran the Gisborne Marathon and finished second, and this was simply a warm-up to prepare him for the Tarawera Miler, which he ran last weekend. Now, the Tarawera Miler, the main event, is 100 miles long. That is 162.5 kilometers, which my brother completed in 17 hours and 40 minutes, picking up 10th place. Now, when Simon finished the race, he put up a post on social media saying that he would not have finished with such a great result if it wasn't for the help of his team. As you'll see in this photo, my brother has built up quite the team that has helped him to the finish line. First, he has our mum, who was a financial sponsor, because this event cost quite a lot of money to run. Second, he has the support and encouragement from his amazing wife. Third, he has his wife's parents, who are not in the photo, but they were responsible for looking after the kids so that he could actually run the event. Fourth, he has a lady that is in charge of all the medical oversight and packing all the equipment. Fifth, he has a guy who oversees all the pit stops and getting everything that my brother needs during the race, food, hydration, gear, so that Simon can just keep running. And finally, the sixth and seventh people that my brother has on his team were the pace runners. Now, these guys have quite an important job. Their job, as you'll see in this photo is to run just in front of Simon and set the pace that he needs to run to achieve his goals. So the guy in the red is the pace runner for the guy for Simon in the white cap. Simon's in the white cap. The pace runners don't run the entire race. They come out in shifts, setting the pace for Simon to then complete the race as quickly as possible. In fact, Simon messaged me and said this about one of his pace runners. Simon said, me and my pacer absolutely smashed it. If it wasn't for him in the last 20 kilometers, I wouldn't have managed the pace that I did, which also picked me up a 10th place from 11th. My pacer had my full trust to do what I needed him to do to get me to where I wanted to be. This is one of the things I love about sports, especially solo sports like running, tennis, golf, and the likes. We often focus on the star runner or athlete, but what we don't realize is that they often have a team of people behind them, working in complete sync, helping them to get to the finish line. And looking at the photos of Simon and his team of champions, I couldn't help but think of our own Christian race that we're all running that led me to ask the big question, how do we make sure that we run the race of eternity well?
If you were here last week, you'll know that we're doing a sermon series called A Message to Be Shared, which has an evangelistic focus. Last week, we looked at our trade, which can be summarized as worshiping God and making disciples. Today, we're looking at the routine. We're looking at the specific way that we should be structuring our lives so that we can make disciples and live for the kingdom of God in all that we do. And if you look at the entire biblical narrative, then it becomes clear that good Christian community is vital if we want to make disciples and reach the finish line. Just like my brother Simon had a community around him, helping him push through the pain and lead him to a goal, a goal that was one hour and 20 minutes faster than what he was expecting, We also need to establish a good community around us that can help us get through the challenges of life and stay strong right until the end. In the book of Acts, we see the apostles. Now, apostles is just a fancy name to describe the people that Jesus Jesus chose to be sent out. So in the book of Acts, we see the apostles living out the Great Commission by making disciples. In fact, in Acts 2, get this, Peter delivers a sermon and it tells us that at the end of the sermon, 3,000 came to know Jesus, were baptized and were added to the numbers of the church. 3,000. The early church faced an extremely important question. How do they now live for Jesus Christ with all of these thousands of people coming to the faith? In short, what routine should they follow as they establish this new community of believers? The great news is at the end of Acts chapter 2, Luke, who wrote Acts, gives us some guidelines about what our weekly routine should be. If you have your Bible, we're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. So this is right after it says 3,000 came and were baptized. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Our first point for this morning is we need to establish good Christian community. Verse 42 essentially gives us the routine of the first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This single verse has provided what has been known as the four marks of the church. As a group of believers, we should be learning God's word. We should be fellowshipping. We should be breaking bread and we should be praying. Now, the first question we could ask is how frequently should we be gathering together to do these things? You might have noticed that in verse 46, it reads, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Every day. Wow, are we meant to go to church every single day? 
Well, scholars tend to point out that the word every day is not written as a command. Rather, Luke is just highlighting what the early church was doing with their new believers that had just come to faith. The point being, it's not telling us that we need to meet at church daily. Rather, it's reminding us that when people first come to faith, they might need more regular meetings than those who are more experienced and have been in their faith and following Jesus for a lot longer. Therefore, we need to be careful that we don't get confused by the words every day and treat them as a commandment. So how frequently should we be gathering together to do church? Well, I'd say the safest and most biblical answer is regularly. Church, the gathering of believers together needs to be part of our regular routine. And there are four key things that we're told that we should be doing when we gather together like this. First, we need to be learning the Bible. When it says in verse 42 that they, are, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, this simply means that they were learning the teachings of Jesus. We need to remember that the New Testament didn't exist yet. Therefore, the way that people were to learn the teachings of Jesus was through the teachings of the apostles. What is happening here in verse 42 is the workings of the great commission that we looked at last week. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Now, for us today, this would be devoting ourselves to the teachings of the Bible. We need to become a Bible-loving people. I mentioned last week that I'm, I'm becoming fearful that we're becoming biblically illiterate, even in the church. We need to make sure that we're teaching the Bible as well as reading it in our own lives. In the last couple of years, I've managed to establish some pretty good routines in my week. I start most days with a prayer walk. Um, then I'll sit down and I'll spend 30 minutes reading uh, books on theology. And then on top of that, whenever I'm in my car, I've started listening to podcasts from theologians and pastors from a around the world. Now, the routine is still not quite where I'd like it to be, but I'm getting better, and I was starting to feel pretty good about myself and how I've been developing and growing. And I was recently listening to a theologian, and he simply said, we need to be reading the Bible constantly, allowing God's Word to pour over our lives, shaping us more into His image. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I was left with these words in my mind. Jeremy, how often are you reading the Bible for you. You see, I study the Bible most days, but it's always for a sermon or a devotion or for some other church event or meeting. I realized I'm not spending much time in the Bible for me. Even pastors can fall into the trap of getting busy. We need to become a Bible-loving people. When we gather on a Sunday mornings, the Bible should be taught. The second thing that verse 24 highlights is fellowship. I would argue that living in a culture where we're all so busy and running around like headless chickens, church fellowship is becoming a thing of the past. We live in a world that promotes productivity. Therefore, when we gather together, it makes sense to maximize our time and our output with things like Bible studies or communion or worship services. 
But we need to realize that the gathering together for fellowship is a spiritual gift, and I think we need to prioritize it more. Staying after church for morning tea, things like the upcoming Thanksgiving dinner next month, these things should not be seen as insignificant or only if I have time type events. No, the Bible makes it clear that the gathering together for fellowship and doing life together is extremely important. We'll have more on that point soon. Next, verse 42 tells us that when we gather together, we need to break bread. Now, scholars like to argue about what is exactly meant by the term breaking bread and whether it's meant to be in a social meal setting like our Thanksgiving dinner next month or whether they're meaning communion, breaking bread, sharing communion together. Most scholars tend to land on the fact that communion is most likely in mind in this passage. And I believe biblical scholar Ajith Fernando is right on point when he says, Note also that the other three features mentioned in 2.42, teaching, fellowship, and prayer, are spiritual activities, which suggests that this fourth one, the breaking of bread, is also a spiritual activity, i.e. the Lord's Supper. When we gather together, we should be celebrating the Lord's Supper, which keeps Jesus' death and resurrection at the center of everything. Now, I do want to point out that we've had some people recently raise the question about why we only celebrate communion once a month. Yeah. And this is something we are evaluating and reviewing, and we'll keep you posted on this one. So it is one we're working through. So maybe we'll, we'll celebrate communion more in the upcoming times. And finally... In verse 42, it says that when we gather together, we pray. Prayer is so vitally important. We need to be a praying people because this keeps us in sync with our heavenly Father. We cannot live for the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven if we're not praying. Prayer needs to be our engine room. So there you have it. We need to make sure that our routine includes regular times when we gather together to do what has become known as church. And when we gather for church, we need to make sure that we learn God's word, that we fellowship, that we celebrate communion, and that we pray. And that leads nicely to our next point. We need to be a united family. Acts 2.44 reads, all the believers were together and had everything in common. In the ancient world, families would do life together. It wasn't common to have families and extended families that all would work in the same trade and all the money would be gathered into a single purse that would then be used to support the entire family. People in the ancient world didn't know language like my money, my possessions, my house. Rather, it was always seen as ours. Our money, our possessions, our house. It was togetherness. It was community. When Jesus called the 12 disciples, this was the model he adopted. The disciples had a common purse. Ironically, it was Judas that was in charge of the money. And from this common purse, the disciples and Jesus were able to survive. It was togetherness. It was community. When it says in Acts 2.44 that all believers were together and had everything in common, this is the kind of picture that we need to keep in mind. The early church was about togetherness. The early church was about community. The early church was a family that pulled their resources together so that they could live for the kingdom of God as a united people. 
And before you think, but they were just small house churches, churches are a lot bigger today, just remember what it told us in Acts 2.41, where it says 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. The early church had a big element to it. They were growing, and we can learn a lot from their routines. The big question we could ask is, why is being a united family so important? Well, first, a united family should be living for the same goal. This does not mean that we have to be the same. We're allowed to have different thoughts. We're allowed to have different opinions. We're allowed to disagree. But this does not mean that we cannot work together for the common goal of building God's kingdom here on earth. If we're a united family, then we should be walking in the same direction. The second reason that I believe being a united family is so important is because a united family is stronger than a solo player. I want you to think back to my opening illustration with my brother Simon. Now, Simon would be the first to say that he would not have achieved his impressive result if it wasn't for the support of his team. If Simon tried to be a lone wolf, he might have finished the race, but it would have taken him a lot, lot longer. Simon knows that he is stronger in community. It's the same for us. We're stronger and more effective for the kingdom of God when we become a united family. One of my favorite nights with our youth group is, where, is our bonfire night where we go to the beach, gather some driftwood together and, and, and have a fire. Now, if you've ever done a bonfire on the beach, you'll know that you can get these long branches where half the branch is on fire and half the branch is out of the fire and safe to touch. And you can actually pick up one of these branches and take them out of the fire. And if you've ever done this, you'll know that the end of the branch that's on fire, it will burn for a while before it slowly goes out. And then it glows red before finally turning black, and that's when it starts smoking. What I like to do at this point is I, I slowly move the branch back towards the fire. And often when the branch is still a couple of feet away from the fire, it will burst back into flames from the heat. I'll then say to the youth, this is what Christian community is like. Christian community is like being part of the fire that is burning brightly for Jesus Christ. If you leave Christian community, you might burn bright for a little bit, but eventually your fire will probably go out. However, if you come back into Christian community, your fire will burst back into life. I love this image because I believe it's so true. If I'm honest, I can't think of a single person who has left Christian community and their faith has remained as strong as when they're a part of the church whānau. We are stronger together. We also need to realize that being a united church family needs to extend beyond Sunday mornings. Life groups are so important, and we as an eldership are making life groups and our church a priority focus for 2023, and we'll give you more information on this one as, as it develops. But it's not just life groups, it's things like barbecues and dinners, going out to the beach with each other, doing projects together, going on, on holidays with each other. We need to get better at being a united church family, because when you start doing life together, then you build trust. Then you have more spiritual conversations. Then you can help each other, and then you can hold each other accountable. Discipleship works best when we're doing life together. 
Unfortunately, I believe the church in the West is modeling the way we do community from our culture rather than from the Bible. We're trying to live private, individual lives where we let people in on our own terms and when it suits us. We need to make sure that we're getting our guidance from the Bible and not from culture. As Fernando beautifully says, the joy, enrichment, and security that comes from a caring community outweigh by far the pain and inconvenience that come with getting close to people. So the time is ripe for Christians to present to the world a community that is radically different from the existing social structures of society. Let's be a united church, Fano. Next point. We need to be salt and light. In Acts 2.45, it says, They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Not only was the first church a united family doing life together, but they pulled their resources and sold their property and possessions to give to those in need. In short, they were being the hands and feet of Christ to those around him. They were being salt and light in the community. Now, a couple of things to note. First, when it says they sold their property, commentators note that this doesn't mean they sold all of their property because as it says in verse 46, they continued to break bread in their homes. What is most likely being talked about here is extra property that is not being used. The second thing to note is that the selling of property in the Jewish mindset was a huge sacrifice. For Jews, property not only had a monetary factor, but it also had an inheritance factor. Their land was their inheritance that went way back to the covenant with Abraham. So for a Jew to sell their land, this was unheard of. This was a huge sacrifice. But their conviction as they did community together was to become a united people and pull their resources to help those around them. That is my hope and goal for our church, that we are a united family that pulls our resources together to be the hands and feet of Christ so that we can be salt and light to the world around us. It can start small, like the notice today for drivers to help people get to church. I'm anticipating we'll have a huge response of volunteers because that's what family does. We help each other get to church. From the small things like helping people get to church, I'm hopeful that it will grow and who knows what our future is going to hold. But my dream for the future is that from being the hands and feet of Christ, from being salt and light in the world around us, that our secular community will start to look to the church for help in their time of need. You know, as I've watched the disasters with the flood and cyclone up north, I've seen countless people cry out to the government for help and saying the government needs to be doing more. In my mind, these kinds of moments are time for the church to shine. The government is not the answer. The church being the hands and feet of Christ, I believe that is always the answer to the world's problems. If you track church history, the church has often stepped in and helped when no one else was willing. This is why things like hospitals and education and optometrists exist today. The church stepped in and did something. What we need to realize is that if we don't step in and help, then some other group 
Or organization might step in and they might have hidden agendas or values. A great example of this is the Black Lives Matter movement. The world was faced with a huge racial injustice, and so an organization stepped in to try and do something, and as many Christians realized, this organization had some hidden agendas and values that were not biblical. But this is the reality of the situation. If the church is not willing to step into the gaps of injustice, then another group or another organization or another religion might step in and try and do something. My hope for the future is that when things go wrong in the world, then people's default will not be to cry out to the government for help, but they will cry out to the church. And I believe this can only happen if we as a church unite together. And the final point, we need to love God and love others. In verse 47, it says, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. I believe you can summarize that verse with the words, love God and love others. It's the greatest commandment being lived out by the early church. Today, we should be seeking to become this united family because we love God and we love others. And what is interesting is what is mentioned at the end of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If we live this kind of community where we're united together, where we love God and love others, where we're the active hands and feet of Christ around the world around us, then this kind of community is going to become so attractive that others will want to join. This is evangelism. Acts 2, 42, 47 is saying to us today that if we get the routine right and live Christian community as God has designed it to be lived, then we're going to see people come into the kingdom of God. Think of our church vision statement. Who knows what our church vision statement is? Who's brave? Mandy. Close. Believe, live. Share, believe, live, share. So close. Believe, live, share. That's still worth a chocolate, Mandy. I owe you. There we go. I become known as the guy with the bag of chocolates. Every time I say, who knows the vision statement? It'll be like, oh, I want a chocolate. It's also the Wi-Fi password if you guys are interested. Believe, live, share. Believing in God should lead us to want to live it out and Christian community so that we can share it with the world around us. And in a secular world that is plagued by the diseases of loneliness, belonging, and purpose, if we can get Christian community right, if we can nail the living part, if we can establish a good routine, then I believe evangelism will flow and people will be drawn towards Jesus. So that's the challenge Let's be the community that God has designed us to be and let's show the world that the church can be trusted to step up and help when they need us. Let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you for the account from Acts. We thank you for the message, what was happening in in the early church. We thank you for the way they just preached the message and they saw salvations come, the way they lived community. 
And we pray that that can be our model and guide as we establish good Christian community today, Lord. I get excited thinking about it because there is so much potential. And I think, even when I think of our vision statement, Lord, believe, live, share, I think it's only when all three of those are in sync that it's all going to work and we're going to see your kingdom unleashed here in our community. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you will lead and guide us. Pray that we will know how to do this. I pray that you'll give us opportunities to establish community, that there might be things we normally do on our own, but we think, hey, I could invite someone from church. We could do this together. I pray in advance for the friendships that are going to be formed in this place as people start doing life together. Bless those friendships. May they grow. May they have spiritual conversations. May they hold each other accountable. We pray in advance over church events that will happen, fellowship, doing life together. And we pray that we will become an in-sync family. Yes, we're going to have differences. Yes, we're, we're not going to agree on everything, but I think we can still walk in the same direction. We can still get to that goal that you're calling us towards. And Lord, when we get things wrong, when we make mistakes, when our pride and chasing of worldly things gets in the way, we pray that you'll forgive us. That you, when we fall, that you will pick us back up, brush us off, whisper in our ear, I love you, and then push us forwards as we continue to run the race. Thank you that you are a loving, gracious God, that you are the ultimate coach, that you are the ultimate pace runner, so to speak, running just in front of us, helping us reach your finish line. So Lord, continue to lead us, continue to guide us, continue to empower us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.